Beatitudes for the last several weeks, um, and today's passage is Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. That can be found on page 809 if you have one of the Black House Bibles in front of you. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Uh, but Matthew 5, 6. So go ahead and stand with me if you're able, and I'm going to read this verse. Okay, Matthew 5, 6, page 809. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is the word of the Lord. Help Aaron come on up and pray for him here quickly. Father, you are so good to us. You surprise us uh, with new glorious things every day. Thank you for the sunshine this morning. Thank you for friendly voices and smiling faces. Thank you for the encouragement um, that is your people gathered. Lord, today we ask that you would surprise us again. Speak deep to our hearts. Reveal the secret truth um, that can only be found in the way that you do things in your economy. Lord, Reveal to, our, reveal to us our hearts and where we look for satisfaction in other places. Lord, speak the deep truth uh, that it can only be found in you and show us how that's possible today. Lord, I pray for Aaron. Be with his words and use them this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Steph. Good morning, cars. Good to see you all today. This morning I have two questions for you. Only two. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? If you and your MC have been participating with us in the Beatitudes um, fasting practice that we've done for the last several weeks, you'll be halfway there as of this week. And you'll have some very recent experience of hunger to draw on when I ask you if you're hungry or thirsty. If you haven't been fasting with us, that's okay. Uh, I've brought a few examples of some different kinds of hunger to help you answer this question. The first is from a friend of mine who's a big guy, um, college athlete, really strong metabolism. He told me the other day, um, I'm not always hungry, but I could always eat. And I can't think of a more apt summary of my relationship with food, although unfortunately I don't have the same kind of metabolism as my athletic friend. Uh, this is a hunger that a lot of us can probably relate to because um, it's not real hunger. It's just, hey, I know I don't need anything, but if I'm within arm's reach of the fridge or the pantry, I'm going to double check and make sure that we don't have any treats in there that need to be eaten. The next example of hunger, this is from uh, the class of sixth graders that I teach. And before the school year started, before I really had a say, uh, it was designated that seventh hour would be the snacking hour. I teach seventh and eighth hour only. Uh, and so every day the kids bring in their snacks, and at one point I just I couldn't take it anymore. The cellophane crinkling and the chip chomping and just the overall mess of a bunch of sixth graders eating. 
Uh, and so one day I went to them, I told them, hey, look, I'm really sorry, but we're going to have to stop with the snacking in this class. No more. And the pushback was both instant and intense. <laughs> Mr. Ferguson, we're starving. We have sports after school. We need to fuel our bodies. And I was actually kind of sympathetic to that one. And so my wife, Caitlin, suggested that I should go back to allowing snacks, but only healthy snacks that would provide quality sustenance before a basketball game or an esports match. Um, and the reaction was also not what I had hoped for. <laughs> Mr. Ferguson, it's so unfair. Why does she get to have an apple, but I can't eat my Doritos? <laughs> it's another kind of hunger that we can probably relate to, where we're hungry, but only for the thing that we want and not the thing that we need. And then this last example of hunger comes from my own home. Uh, Caitlin and I, we got an automatic feeder for our cat a while back so that we can go out of town for a few days without having to ask someone to come over and feed the cat. Uh, so we did this. We got everything ready. We set up a big old bowl of water. We topped off the reservoir on the back of the feeder. And we left for the weekend. Just a few days. But when we got back, we found that the cat had managed to close the door and latch it, the door to the room where all his food and water were, with him on the outside. Yeah, come on. We walked into the house and he starts running back and forth between us at the front door and the room where the food and the water is. He's just meowing his head off like, help, help, open this door. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I need food and water. Uh, thankfully, we have a couple of close friends who either went or go to that school. They told us that he would be fine. Um, this is a kind of hunger that most of us hopefully don't relate to very often, where we do need food badly, and if we're not given any soon, something bad might happen to us. So with those distinctions in mind, I want to ask you again, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Here in our passage today, about halfway through the Beatitudes, Jesus tells his disciples and the crowds, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Basically, asking the people, Are you hungry? Are you thirsty for righteousness? If you are, then consider yourselves blessed, because you're going to be satisfied. And I gotta tell you, church, uh, studying this verse for the past few weeks has got me excited. Uh, it's whet my appetite for God to work in our city and across our world. This tiny little verse is packed with so much depth and rich meaning and beauty. And ultimately, it's gonna point us to Jesus, our deep, rich, beautiful King. And so let's jump on into it. Um, this morning, I want to walk us through some of the key words and concepts here, um, rephrase the Beatitude to help us understand it a little bit better, and then examine some of those implications that the verse has for us. Um, first off, 
just briefly, as with all the Beatitudes, is that initial word, blessed. And we won't spend a whole lot of time unpacking it, uh, just because the past few sermons we've talked about it. I'm sure the next several sermons will reference it again. Um, but suffice to say, for today, when we read the word blessed, I want us to hear the fullness of God's favor. The fullness of God's favor. If you want to know how we landed on that phrase, teaching through the Beatitudes, um, go back just a few weeks on the podcast. You can listen to Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the Poor in Spirit. Uh, that's the first Beatitude, and so we spend a lot of time diving into the concept of blessing. But again, when Jesus calls someone blessed, in this Sermon on the Mount, is for him to declare the fullness of God's favor being upon them. Where I want to spend more time is understanding what Jesus is saying when he uses the word righteousness here. It's one of those big, long, bible words. Uh, we'll start here, and then we'll double back to talk about um, hunger and thirst. Uh, I thought Darren did a really great job a few weeks ago when he touched on this just a bit. He noted that as we trace through kind of the sweep of the biblical narrative, we notice that the ideas of righteousness and justice go hand in hand. They kind of run parallel to one another. Um, I might go even a little bit further than that and say that oftentimes these words are kind of collapsed in on one another. Uh, not to dive too deeply into kind of some of the, the nerdy language type stuff. But in the Old and New Testaments, in the, the Hebrew and the Greek, there's a single word in each language that gets translated into our two words, righteousness and justice. And so these words, these concepts, they're two sides of the same coin. So much so that some prominent translations, they'll make the decision to phrase this beatitude as God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. They're two sides of the same coin where righteousness is going to have a little more to do with something inside a person, their character, their desires, their motives, or their judgments being right or proper in line with who God is. While justice has to do with the outward manifestation of that righteousness. The relationships that we have with other people, the institutions and the societies that we build together, being fair and honest and in right order. We see this a lot in the Psalms where the writers, they so frequently cry out for God to judge with righteousness. They're calling on him to execute justice in our world. If you were here couple months ago, several months ago at this point, I guess, during Advent, uh, you might remember a sermon where we looked at the character of Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. We saw that Joseph was called a righteous man. And that passage is only a couple chapters away from the Sermon on the Mount here. So when Matthew uses that word to describe Joseph, it has to inform us a little bit about what Jesus is talking about. When we broke it down, we concluded that what, jo what made Joseph a righteous man was his rigorous commitment to following God's instructions. He was a man whose character and motives and desires and judgments were oriented 
around the things that God said were right. And this manifests in his decisions, to the best of his ability, to act both justly and mercifully towards Mary in that story. So when Jesus proclaims God's favor to those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness and justice, He's talking to those who are hungry and thirsty to see God's will done in God's world. To see God's will done in God's world. And this shouldn't be too surprising for us, I hope. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will famously teach us to pray that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it's done in heaven. And so, while we're focusing on this part of the verse, this, this section of the Beatitude, I want to head something off in the past. I know this question is coming based on some of the questions I got after preaching the poor in spirit Beatitude. And that is, what are we to make of Matthew's version of the Beatitude? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Luke's version, blessed are those who hunger now. Again, we have Matthew with a more spiritual-sounding beatitude, and we have Luke with a more embodied-sounding beatitude. And again, I want to, while doing justice to both verses, kind of collapse a little bit that sharp distinction that we have as modern people between physical and spiritual, between natural and supernatural things. Because that's not how Jesus' audience would have viewed their world. Everything that happened in their day-to-day -day lives, they saw as totally entwined with the spiritual realities of our world. So being hungry for righteousness and justice, that is, to see God's will done in the world, is not too far off from being hungry now. It's certainly a common... Uh, theme or refrain throughout the Bible, and we see it in our world today as well, that being in poverty, experiencing hunger now, often predisposes us to being treated unjustly or experiencing a hunger for righteousness. And remember who Jesus is speaking to in this sermon. The kind of people uh, that, that make up his disciples and the crowds. They're poor in spirit. They're meek. They're those who mourn. People who had inherited a world shaped by the sinfulness of past generations. People who continue to disregard God's law and stir up evil in their own communities. People who are oppressed and hurt and robbed by an evil empire. People who are both hungry now and hungry for righteousness and justice. People who are hungry to see God's will done in God's world. And so King Jesus decrees, those of you who are hungry and thirsty to see God's will done in God's world, God's favor is upon you because you'll be satisfied. Our church, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? So then, 
like I said, we'll double back and look at the hunger and the thirst that Jesus talks about here. I want to emphasize the depth of the hunger that Jesus is here to satisfy. Just last month, we were in Matthew chapter 4. We read about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. If you haven't got your Bible open, you can flip back just a page probably, or you can look at the screen with me. Uh, but here are verses 1 and 2 in Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And so, uh, every language, every culture, we have our own words and phrases to describe hunger. If you're a little bit hungry, you might say that you're feeling peckish and have yourself a snack. If you're really hungry, you might say that you're famished and sit down to a feast. And if there are teenagers in your house who don't stop eating, you might call them a human garbage disposal or say they have a hollow leg. And so in these two sets of verses, Jesus in the wilderness, the Beatitudes, it's the same word for hunger that's being used. When Jesus gets up on the mountain and preaches, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, He's got in mind the kind of hunger you'd have if you hadn't eaten in over a month. Think about those three kinds of hunger at the beginning we talked about. Who do we think Jesus has in mind when he announces God's favor? He isn't talking to uh, those who don't really need any righteousness or justice, but if, you know, it's there, you know, probably nibble on it a, a bit. Um, Jesus has been talking to those who see justice as some kind of treat that you can snack on when your tummy rumbles just the right way. Jesus is speaking to those who have the door closed in their faces. To those who are poor and tired and sick and oppressed and dying. To those, kind of like my cat, where as soon as Jesus comes on the scene... They start running back and forth, crying out to him in need. Let's look at, uh, in some of the other gospel narratives, some examples. Uh, if we fast forward in Matthew, we read this scene. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely possessed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. Spoiler alert, Jesus does end up healing her daughter. In the book of Mark, we have this story recounted for us. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho, disciples of a great, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And then just one last example from the book of Luke. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. 
And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. These are the people to whom Jesus pronounced his blessing. The sick and the oppressed, the hungry and thirsty, to see God's will done in God's world. Those who, apart from Jesus' restoration, have nowhere else to go. These people are hungry to see the righteousness of God in our world, to see things set back to rights, the way they were always supposed to be. It's the kind of hunger and thirst to which Jesus is bringing satisfaction. It's a desperation that cannot be met anywhere else. Those in deep desperation to see God's will done in God's world will experience his favor because their need will be satisfied. Carter's church, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Now, I realize that kind of up to this point, it's been kind of a heady sermon. Uh, we've done, talked about words and languages and examine these important concepts, biblical concepts, of justice and righteousness. Um, yet I would be remiss if I didn't also give you something to speak to your heart, to stir your affection for Jesus. And as much as I do love that nerdy side, what I love even more is bringing you guys with me to see how good and great and beautiful Jesus is. I think as we look at the satisfaction that Jesus promises to the hungry and thirsty, this is where we're going to see clearly how beautiful Jesus is. When we talk about hunger and thirst being satisfied, I think there's a couple of things we need to know. Number one, in what manner is this hunger and thirst satisfied? And number two, to what degree is it satisfied? Let's start with the way that we're satisfied. And to find out, we'll start by looking at what satisfies Jesus. Because after all, we said at the very beginning of our Beatitude series that Jesus is the epitome, the fulfillment of all these Beatitudes. He's the poorest in spirit, the one who mourns most deeply, the most gentle and humble. And he's the hungriest for righteousness and justice. So hungry that he would leave his throne in heaven to become human like us. So what satisfies Jesus? In John chapter 4, we read that famous story of the woman at the well. And here, Jesus also speaks to his own hunger and thirst. Let's read the beginning of the story and the end of the story. This is the beginning. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. 
it was about the sixth hour. So to put that in perspective a little bit, the walk from Judea to Sakar is like an 18-hour walk. And it's noon when Jesus gets there, the sixth hour. So he had to walk overnight. He didn't get any sleep. So Jesus' weariness is the kind of weariness you would experience at the end of a overnight 50-mile hike. He's hungry, and so the disciples go to the next town to get some takeout. He's thirsty, and so he asks the woman at the well to get him some water. Let's get to the end of the passage, after Jesus has had his interaction with the woman, and the disciples have returned. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So the disciples get back. You know, they went over. They went to the next town, Samaria, and they've got this great restaurant with, like, you can get, like, a falafel breakfast burrito. It's, like, the best thing you've ever had. And they're pretty excited. They know Jesus is going to love this. Now, man, how often do we get to make food for Jesus? He's always feeding us, you know? And so they're, they're pretty pumped. They get back. Here you go, Jesus. Got your food. And Jesus is like, you know what? I think I'm good. I think I'm good. The disciples are like, what do you mean you're good? We just walked all night, 50 miles, up and down hills. We didn't get any sleep. I guess someone else wanted to do it already. But Jesus says, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember this from the Old Testament, from the Bible. But man doesn't live on bread alone. I have food you don't know about. Food you don't eat. What fills me up, what satisfies me, is doing the will of my Father. Church, what relieves the physical tiredness Jesus is feeling is doing God's will in God's world. It's being righteous and doing justice. That's why Jesus, the living water, tells the woman at the well, he says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Carsh Church, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? If you are, know that Jesus isn't just satisfied by doing God's will, but he's also the source of our satisfaction, the satisfaction of anyone who would come to him thirsty. I love preaching the week after Pastor Jeff. He always gives me like such a great springboard into whatever my passage is. And this is what he said last week. Jesus isn't just the savior that we need. He's the satisfier that we need. Jesus isn't just the savior that we need. He's the satisfier that we need. And then in John 6, Jesus himself says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. 
Y'all, we are living in a world that's starving and that's parched for righteousness and justice. We live in a world where people who are vulnerable get taken advantage of, where people in positions of power so often get away with evil. We live in a world where larger countries violently invade smaller countries. We live in a world where evil so often goes unnoticed and unchecked. We live in a world that so often sees little of God's will being done in it. Yet at the same time, we live in a world where protests are nearly constant. Protests that you support and protests that you think are dumb. We live in a moment where people want to see justice done in so many areas. But apart from the one who is both just and the justifier. We live among a people who know they need justice, but don't know they need Jesus. The source of justice and righteousness. Carr's Church, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Let me speak to your heart in another way by answering the question, to what degree does Jesus satisfy? When I was growing up, we'd go over to my grandparents' house on Thanksgiving. Uh, very delicious spread, always. Um, that side of the family is ham for Thanksgiving instead of turkey people. Uh, don't hold that against them. After the meal is finished, usually the grown-ups would go into the kitchen and start cleaning up. One year, Grandma walks up to the table. Every dish is just picked clean. And she looks up and says, wow, looks like we had just enough this year. And my uncle responded, uh, no, if we had had enough, there would be some left over. Yeah. When Jesus satisfies, he doesn't satisfy us using the youth group pizza rule. Start with two slices, and then if there's extra, you can go back and get more. <laughs> when Jesus satisfies hunger, he satisfies abundantly. Friends, you know the stories. Jesus feeds crowds of over 4,000, 5,000 people with only five loaves of bread and two fish. But Jesus isn't handing out breadcrumbs or scraping off fish scales. The Bible says that they had as much as they wanted and that they had eaten their fill. And then they even had leftovers on top of that. Jesus took the hungry and gave them so much more that they were stuffed. They couldn't have had more even if they wanted to. Garsh Church, if you're hungry, if you're thirsty for righteousness, if you're deeply desperate to see God's will done in God's world, Jesus has a blessing for you. He's abundantly generous, and he will bring justice and righteousness until we are beyond satisfied. He's promised to make our world right, even in the places that we didn't know were wrong. How's he do it? Church, like we said, our world knows that it needs righteousness and justice. 
in so many places, but doesn't know or care that it needs Jesus. We try to pursue justice without Jesus, despite our best intentions, despite, despite all our effort, we so often just end up multiplying our sin and our selfishness, our own unrighteousness and injustice. It's like trying to dig your way out of a hole. If we want to see justice in our world, we need to go to the source. You see, we're all naturally unrighteous. We're all naturally unrighteous. But this is the beauty of Jesus. This is the greatness of the gospel. Is that when we put our faith in Jesus' life and death and resurrection, when we turn away from our sin and our selfishness, our injustice, our unrighteousness, and give our allegiance to Jesus as king, he actually shares his perfect righteousness with us. Abundantly, the perfectly just and gracious king satisfies us. Again, speaking of the abundance, he doesn't just stop there. Then he gives us his Holy Spirit who empowers us to go out and take that righteousness and justice into our world. It's only through the power of Jesus that we can know and understand true righteousness, and then live that out in our churches, in our MCs, in our city, and all across our world. So, Cars Church, I'll ask you one last time. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? If you are, run away from your sin to the source of righteousness. So that you can be satisfied by Jesus. So that you can go share that goodness with our world. Those who are desperate to see God's will done in God's world can now experience his favor. Because Jesus has come to abundantly satisfy our needs. Let's pray. Father, um, you are righteousness and justice. You are holy, and you're where we need to look. God, you sent Jesus to die for our sins, to be raised from the dead, and share his life with us. God, we thank you for that gift. God, we pray we wouldn't take it for granted. Um, God, I pray that um, our hunger and our thirst wouldn't be limited to our stomachs, um, but God, that we would long to see you do good things, righteous things, just things. God, that you would use us to do your will in this world. God, not just our world, but God, I pray for um, my brothers and sisters and friends who are here this morning who need to see righteousness and justice done in their personal relationships, at work, in their homes, in their small groups. 
God, would they be people who are righteous and just? Would they extend that to the rest of their church family? God, be with us the rest of this morning as we uh, gather around your table. Uh, would you grant us unity with one another by your spirit? Would you give us unity? Uh, would we sense that unity even stronger with you? God, free our minds and our hearts of distractions and we continue to worship together. God, we thank you for everything that you've blessed us with, uh, but especially your son Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.